Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and poisoning cases across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode seven. Seven. Lucky seven. Is seven lucky? Um, given that we're all still in lockdown, I don't think anyone knows what day <laughs> of the week it is. This is true. Not a, not a clue. This is the first day I've put on clothes. <laughs> well done, uh, well done. In, in a week or so. I'm, I'm very glad you did. This is a video recording. My eyes, my eyes. How are you, Nick? I'm very well. Not slight cabin fever is beginning to set in. Do you have any top tips for people listening who are, who are struggling with the situation? Well, if they do, I would, I would very like, much like to hear them. I have none of my own tips, apart from drink, really. Just drink copiously It's, it's been a bit on. of work in the morning, some computer games. How quickly can I start on the booze? <laughs> that's, that's most days. <laughs> yeah, but the booze starts even sooner this time, because I'm already working from home. So you just get right, that's noon. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's like, I could have a cider. You could have a cider, because no one can see me. I'm naked. <laughs> Apart from your housemate who just wanders in every now and then going, no. I don't think he would appreciate it, so. Uh, well, how, how are you? Are you surviving over there? That's the first time you've ever asked me that on this podcast, I know, Nick. I know. <laughs> Every week, every week I reach out and there's nothing back. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I think like everyone else who's listening to this, and again, all our love goes out to all of our listeners and all the lovely, lovely people who've contacted us during lockdown looking for ideas of new podcasts and you found us, which is fantastic. Hello. It's a weird situation. You know, you, you either feel like you've got a million and one things to do or the days just stretch out. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, it's been lovely from all of the new people who followed us and found our podcast and the one mean person who wrote something on Facebook. <laughs> I, I did wonder if you, yeah, what you got. Oh, oh, you saw that, that, did you, Nick? Oh, you saw that. <laughs> oh, she loves you. Oh, she thinks you're great. Thinks you're great. The story's great. Apparently I'm annoying. But you know what? I take criticism well. It's not like I s- sit up at night in a corner rocking back and forth going, why? Why? Why doesn't this one person like me? So it's fine. <laughs> It was one bit of feedback, again, from someone else positively, though. Me and Nick do swear in this podcast. Not a um, lot, though, I don't think. Not not a lot. And we try and do it in humour and just because of but the no, situation. We, do. we don't throw it about there too much. We're terribly vicious to each other in normal life anyway, even though we love each other. This is polite, really. Oh, this is, this is, this is an effort. genteel. This is definite effort to be polite to each other because other people are listening. <laughs> yes. So we are on episode seven. Nick, are you ready to drink cocktails and talk about poison? Yes. 
Or drink poison and talk about cocktails? Not yet. Next week, maybe. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how long we can go. <laughs> exactly. But for now, no. So this week is my story. And it's also my secret ingredient. So every week, obviously, uh, before we tell our story, we mix ourselves up a little cocktail. We invite you to do the same. And the cocktail is always inspired by the tale that we tell. We have a secret ingredient that we released on social media this week. And the secret ingredient is chocolate. This is a good ingredient. The greatest poison of them all. <laughs> How dare you? How dare I? Obviously, we're still in isolation, so Nick can't make me lovely cocktails just to hand over and I get to sit there and drink them and judge. So, yeah, we are having to make our own ones up, but I did give it to Nick. He's the master mixologist. Nick, what did you come up with? I have created a chocolate martini. A chocolate martini? Yes. You're a, you're a one for the martinis, aren't you, Nick? Well, this is another thing that I've discovered. Because I'm generally, I stick with the ones I know. I stick with the classics I like when I'm making them for myself. This podcast has forced me to branch out and investigate other things. Mm. And I find I am desperately annoyed by the amount of cocktails that are called martinis <laughs> that have got nothing to do with bloody martini. It's just because they're in a martini glass that, that people call them martinis. And it's just like, no, it's not! <laughs> It makes me angry. What is a martini? Educate our listeners. Well, I would say if it contains martini, which is a brand of dry vermouth. Mm. Probably some learned bar person somewhere who is in, disagrees entirely and has probably written essays on the origins of the martini. And suddenly he's standing up wherever he is going, To Twitter! But no, just the amount of stuff that is called martini that has actually nothing to do with martinis um, is frustrating. Every time I've looked up a cocktail, and again, I've had to research a few things on my own without you, Nick. Um, everything, everything seems to be, ooh, a something teeny, yeah. a something teeny. There we are. And it hasn't got vermouth in it. And it's, it, it seems lazy. Espresso martinis, both of our, mm. one of our favourites. Um, love an espresso martini. Well, it's got no vermouth in it whatsoever. No. So is it really a martini? No, it's, it's served in a martini glass, so let's call it a martini. Is it even really a drink? Oh, yes, it's definitely that. It's definitely a drink. Okay, so a chocolate martini. We're going to go shake up a storm and we'll see you in a second. Ah. And we're back. Hello. So, Nick, talk us through the chocolate martini. So, chocolate martini, we have got two parts vodka, mm. one part dry vermouth, and one part creme de cacao. Chocolate creme de cacao. cacao. And is that a dark creme de cacao? Or the, there's, a, there's a light one, isn't there? Yes, it? this is the blank one. This is the blanco one. Um, it's what I had in the cupboard. And it's what the recipe called for. But I imagine it would probably work equally well with both. So it would just be a colour difference. So Nick had sent me the recipe. Uh, I did have a chocolate liqueur. I did have vermouth. I did have vodka. But I still went rogue. I still didn't 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 listen to Nick. Um, I thought I just thought I'd try, try something different. Um, and I did. After all our ranting and raving, I have made a chocolate martini with no vermouth in it, <laughs> <laughs> and it has two parts creme de cacao or chocolate liqueur in my case, uh, one part vodka and one part cream. Okay, nice. I fancy something creamy. I fancy something creamy, nice. delicious. There we are. Um, I should say I made two other cocktails <laughs> because I wanted to make something a little bit creative with chocolate. So in my quest to try and find interesting chocolate-based cocktails, I found a couple. One was a frozen chocolate margarita, uh, which I made. And let us never speak of it again. <laughs> nice. it's, it's still down there in the kitchen. I don't want to go and look at it. It it was just weird. It was, it was the chocolate liqueur and tequila and a bit of cream and and lime and a bit of orange juice and Ooh, it that doesn't sound good it, it wasn't bad it just wasn't right you yeah. blend it with ice and it's all frothy and lovely but it, it, no it looked beautiful i took a picture of it and a little frosted glass and it looked gorgeous but no 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 so that that died a death 
Um, I did make a plantation fever, which I think is worth a try. Okay. It's definitely strange. It's an, it's not what you'd expect. So one of the things you need, and luckily I'd actually made this earlier in the week, is chili syrup, sugar syrup. Mm, so nice. I made a sugar syrup earlier in the week and I put some chilies in it because uh, I think someone on Instagram was talking about a cocktail they were having with a jalapeno kind of pineapple daiquiri which sounded amazing so i made this earlier in the week just by making sugar syrup and steeping some uh, chilies in there and then for the cocktail it's um one and a quarter ounce of aged rum so a good dark golden rum uh three quarter ounce chocolate liqueur um an ounce of lime juice mm, yeah, a little bit different well rum and lime yes yeah exactly with a chocolate in there you're like mm. and three quarter ounce of the chili syrup whatever variety that you want to do and the result which i'm going to now taste now before we do our actual chocolate martinis it's it's pretty good. It's there's something about it. it shouldn't work. Chili and chocolate and limey Mexican flavors in a glass. It's really sharp. It's refreshing, but not too sweet. Doesn't sound like it should work. The first taste, you're like, oh, I'm not so sure. But um, I like that. It was good. Nice. There we go. There's a, there's a little optional extra. We'll put that on the uh, on the pictures. And now the the second another variety. See, I like that. You've actually garnished it with some some powder around the rim. That's very impressive. I couldn't be asked. <laughs> I made a cocoa powder and sugar uh, blend and I put it around the rim of the martini glass. And they're beautiful. Very civilised. And uh, mine's got cream in it. Yours has got vermouth in it. So let's have a little taste. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That's very nice. I like that a lot. You like it? I do. So how's yours with the chocolate and the vermouth and the vodka? Because It actually works really well. Really? It actually works really, really nicely. I must admit, it's been sitting out on the side there for probably about 10 minutes or so, so it's got a bit warm. But um, no, if that was really cold, I think that would be amazing. I'm really impressed with that. Really ice cold. It'll be beautiful. Yeah, this one, similarly, this is a, in a, a, the glass came out of the freezer. What's not to like? It's it's vodka, a chocolate liqueur, and a True. bit of cream in there. It's not a huge amount of cream shaken up with the ice. It's a little decadent drink. We don't drink a lot of kind of chocolatey drinks between us. And it's made me rethink about chocolate liqueurs because you just think of them as sickly and death by chocolate and ice yeah, cream. Yeah, so I and... never have until, until we started this. Um, but no, that is actually very, very tasty. And during when I was researching for this one, there's another one I came across called a Ramos chocolate fizz. What? Which is based on a Ramos gin fizz, Ooh. which is quite a famous cocktail. Um, but it looks amazing. So I'm definitely, when I'm allowed to go out... <laughs> And I have people around because I'm not opening a bottle of champagne to make myself one cocktail. Um, okay, Nick, so I think we're... I think you, you can open a bottle of champagne in quarantine. You're right. I love the way you were like, oh, I'm not opening one of my own. You totally open one of your no, own. No, I just go and buy one. If I, had, if I had champagne in the house, I'd have drunk that on day one. <laughs> I press, I press, I might save it for a we're out of lockdown party and then I'll make a batch of them when everyone comes around. What if they're horrible though? I don't want that to be the first cocktail that we have. I think that, well then you won't get one. Okay, as ever, as ever. <laughs> I complain once, Nick takes my cocktail away and drinks it. Pretty much, yeah. So there we go. Chocolate liqueurs. Give it a go, people. Give it a go. I mean, this is a really good time because you you will have some weird stuff in the back of your cocktail cabinet. In the back of the cupboard. Weird, strange liqueurs. Now is the time to experiment. Do it, do it. Do it and show us your results. So, we have our chocolate martinis in hand. So I'm intrigued about um, what story you found involving chocolate. Tell me a tale, an exciting chocolatey tale. Well, let's start, Nick, in 1907. Let's. With a lady lying on her deathbed, she turns to a nearby person, says, are my eyebrows all right? This could be you. 
This could be me. <laughs> In my deathbed, I will turn and say, are my eyebrows okay? Are they a bit uneven? They're sisters, not twins. She says, I think I'm improving. I was a Venus before, and I shall be a Venus again. What's a Venus? It rhymes with penis. It's a girl version of that. <laughs> now, today we are going to discuss the curious case of Christiana Edmonds, and perhaps the greatest poison of them all... Yes. Love or lust. Intriguing. Christiana Edmonds, born in 1828 in Margate, Kent. Oh, yay! Yay! That's exciting. Yay! See, I'm from Margate. Nick was born in Margate. We... I was born... Not in 1828. Not in 1828, despite his haggard skin. <laughs> despite that... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> And the, and the greying of the beard. <laughs> Ooh, where? Hey, Margate, I'm, I'm, I want to know more. Margate. I like Margate. I'm glad you want to know more, because otherwise this is going to be a waste of an hour. Yes, this is exciting for me and Nick, who are, we live in Kent in England. Margate is in Thanet in the south coast, very, very close to where we are. When I started this story, I had no idea, actually, of her background here, but it gets better. She's the eldest of five children um, to architect William Edmonds, who is the man who designed the Margate Lighthouse. Ooh, okay. Droit House in Margate. Anyone from Kent is going, what? This is uh, now the <laughs> now the uh, the tourist information centre in Margate. <laughs> he also saw the oversaw the remodelling of Kenton Canterbury Hospital. He designed Holy Trinity Church in Margate. Even designed a very grand pavilion for a banquet in celebration of the Duke of Wellington, who was Lord Warden of the Sankports. I want to say I'm going to add another really weird fact. Holy Trinity Church is where my parents got married. Aww. There we go. Was he there? <laughs> There you go. I like this. Yes, William, um, very good standing in Margate and in Kent. And by all accounts, as a result, Christiana had a very privileged upbringing, had a private education in a school for ladies. But Daddy started showing strange behaviour in his later years, bouts of violence, deluded ramblings that he had millions of pounds and he would strike out at people that he knew. And these became so bad that in 1843 he was admitted to an insane asylum in a straitjacket. Now, it was a rather nice private asylum. We know in those days going to the asylum, not such a good sign. But his family and his wife, they had money. They could afford to send him to a private institution. Uh, And he died there in 1847 when Christiana was just 19 years old. It is thought that perhaps he was suffering from syphilis. Ah, that'll do it. That might also have been passed on to his children. Christiana herself as a young woman had to come to terms with her father's death and the stigma of the fact that he had gone into an asylum. The family had been very careful about making sure no one knew where daddy had gone and they they covered it up as much as they could. But certainly when she was 18 years old, at a time in that time of society where a young woman would be attending her coming out ball, she couldn't have a coming out ball because her father was in an asylum and the family didn't want any attention drawn. So she must have already started her life in her late teens feeling that you know her prospects weren't looking very good for her missing out on a lot and christiana herself had a few troubles it was uh she was allegedly prone to bouts of paralysis points of anxiety she would run into her mother's room at night claiming she couldn't breathe and she was diagnosed at the time with hysteria now nick do you know a little bit about hysteria and it's a woman it's a women's thing it's a woman's it's thing. It's a woman's thing. Women. It's all we need to know about it. It's all these women, <laughs> these bloody women. Hysteria is a fascinating subject. It is well worth a read. Well, it comes. It comes from the word, the Greek for womb, isn't it? Is 
That's where you get hysterectomy and things from. Way back into the Egyptian times and through to the Greeks where we have more writings on it. The idea is that a woman who was suffering from any kind of anxiety, any kind of stress, any kind of hormonal imbalance, all the things that we nowadays know are completely normal for a woman to go through, particularly if she's going through puberty, if she's experiencing a period, if she is maybe edging towards the menopause, or is just being a normal goddamn woman. Um, (laughs) Everyone just thought this was... uh, Women were prone to hysteria and it was all the fault of the womb. Um, Way back when, in the Grecian times and in the Egyptian times, and for some time afterwards, uh, they believed in the wandering womb. The, uh, The uterus was an animal that could wander through the body, wantonly. Was wonderful. Oh, you're pesky warm. You'll get back down there. And this was treated with um, a combination of smells. Um, but yeah, they would use a, a nasty smell at the nose and a pleasant smell around the vagina to <laughs> make tempt it down, tempt it back into place. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. So women's wombs were all over the place. All over the place. Point, you know, yeah. you're up in the morning and they're doing the washing up or something. Quickly, fetch fetch the road and the rotten fish no we've got them the wrong way round but but predominantly a lot of the theory was that women just were not uh, sexually satisfied and that women need to get married and have babies if women weren't married and they hadn't had a child their whole bodies were reacting against them they couldn't possibly be happy and they would go insane if you were upset if you were anxious if you were um, suffering from depression this was all linked to the womb is female hysteria but Christiana as well was a very intelligent woman she was trained in her father's pr- uh, profession she was a draftswoman well she certainly knew the trade she didn't work exclusively in that area she wanted to but for all accounts really if you're a woman at that time it was no no no, off you go and be married I mean her father had left her brothers an allowance to enable them to go into a career his daughters did not get that so yes it was basically down to Christiana to look after mother her brothers went off started their careers their sisters went and married or they got professions but ultimately the mother sells the father's possessions and the house she has an allowance through his will they've done quite well for themselves and ultimately they moved to Brighton in the 1860s so Christiana by now is just her and her widowed mother Christiana is in her 40s now by some accounts she is she is a vain woman so some say she's a waspish spinster others say she's quite attractive she's certainly a lady of fortune well off and is described as extremely prepossessing in her demeanour so she's in Brighton. She's in her 40s. Life has kind of been okay for Christiana. Not terribly interesting. Lots of needlework, I would imagine. But then she meets Dr. George Beard. So Dr. Beard is a local doctor. That's shocking, I know. Surprise. <laughs> He is very well respected in the area. He's married to a lady called Emily. They have several children. She meets him possibly because he has treated her for a claimed condition of uh, neuralgia. But he treats her, he visits her, and a friendship develops between them. Yes. They have a nice rapport. They talk. He actually asked her to make some anatomical drawings for him as a favour to be displayed in (laughs) Sussex Hospital. She's very welcome in the Beard family home and becomes friendly with the good doctor and his wife and their children. And something sparks in Christiana's chest. So in 1869, she begins to write in private to the good doctor. Oh dear, it's not going to end well. Just letters of interest, of, of affection, of um, just, just passing the time three times a week. Uh, visits often. <laughs> and Dr. Bid doesn't appear to write back at this time, but he doesn't discourage her. There's no evidence that anything physical took place between them, but certainly letters were exchanged and she wrote to him a great deal. 
he doesn't stop her from writing. Yeah. Maybe he's enjoying the flirtation. It's exciting. It's exciting. exciting. You're in fashionable yeah. Brighton. Bit of early sexting, basically. Well, pretty much, yeah. Pretty, pretty much. much. This would do. Oh, my darling, I enclose this dick pic. Well, she's good at the anatomical drawings, it would seem. So <laughs> who, knows, who knows what they were of? This is a good point. <laughs> this is of my wandering womb. <laughs> Maybe you can chase it back into place. <laughs> Okay, so she's just drawing boobs and sending them to him three times a week. It's what you do when you're in love. Who amongst us hasn't done it? But anyway, so it's fair to say that a, 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 let's say maybe verging on an obsession with the doctor is starting to develop. Indeed, the landlords of her first home describe her as having a wildness in her look uh, and that she's edgy. She has an excitable manner that made them feel uncomfortable. And you know what the problem is? that wife of his (laughs) you know what maybe if the wife wasn't around that'll do the trick it'll solve all your problems well it might well so in september 1870 christiana pays a visit to the lovely emily emily is sitting in her parlor and christiana's brought with her a delicious box of chocolates oh (gasps) there we go chocolate chocolate creams Mm, so indulgent and Christiana, to all reports, is very playful and jolly at this meeting. Oh, she's she's very happy. She has the chocolates. Like, go on, Emily. She goes so far as to popping one of the chocolates playfully in Emily's mouth. <laughs> That's getting a bit desperate. For... Eat that black and chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> it could be innocent of just like, go on, go, go on, 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 go on. You know, like a cheap round. Um, but it could be weirder. I was just like, oh, she's just stuffing chocolates on her mouth. Yes, aren't they delicious? <laughs> so whatever happens, Christiana shoves the chocolate in Emily's mouth. Mm, lovely. Lovely, tasty, tasty. And Emily sort of goes, oh, yeah, oh, ooh, ooh. Um, and she realises the chocolate has a distinctly metallic taste to it. <laughs> it's full of drawing pens. <laughs> it's full of bullets. Why? Yes. I couldn't afford a gun as well. <laughs> She notices the chocolate has a very metallic taste and she sort of slips out of the room and spits it out. Christiana leaves pretty sharpish. And later that night, uh, Emily Beard has terrible sickness. It's a fierce bout of, unfortunately, diarrhoea. And salivation. She's salivating a a huge amount. She's really not well. Symptoms we might recognise from a certain famous poison, beginning with A... A. But Emily recovers. Well, she spat most of it out, hopefully. She did spit most of it out. She recovers. She doesn't eat the, the, the chocolates that the crazy woman delivered and tried to shove at her. <laughs> she mentions it to her husband innocently enough and says that she felt so ill. Husband immediately goes, oh my, goes to visit Christiana to confront her. He's still sort of playing it quite cool because, again, we don't know what's happened and we don't know that there's anything that has happened between them that would necessitate him saying oh you're trying to kill my wife he speaks to her he sort of makes mention of the fact that you know there are there are um things that can detect uh poisons in animal tissue these days you know if if anyone were to be <laughs> christiana takes the hint and she is horrified she is indignant and it's all backfired in her head it's all the wife is alive and not only is dr beard not on her side he thinks she's a murderer i think she's trying to do some harm and she's sli- he's slipping further and further away <laughs> Away from her grip, and she's like, no, 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 no. She says, no, 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 no. I did nothing. The sweets, the sweets, were bought from Maynard's sweet shop. They must be to blame because I became ill as well. And he's backing away down the street, going, uh huh, yeah, uh huh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, Maynard's sweet shop. They must be to blame. I mean, it's not that long since, you know, the older Bradford sweets poisoning. 
And over the next few weeks, she continues to correspond with him. She tries and tries to get him to write back to her and he does not respond to the point where he tells her she is no longer welcome in the house. He doesn't want her to visit. And she is fixated now in reversing her mistake and convincing Dr. Beer that she did not poison his wife. She has to prove that Maynard's is to blame and not her. Oh, Christ. And thus begins her trail of poisonings. That, oh, God, this is not going to end well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, because you just mentioned the Bradford Suites, because this, when, so when are we now? So this has taken place at the end of 1870. So yeah, so it's 10 years after that, I suppose, with that debacle of the sweet poisonings over there. So it's probably much forgotten, really, 10 years later, it's probably... We are still coming out of the poison panic era. So just before Bradford, sweet poisonings, there were lots of accidental deaths because of arsenic. Um, not uh, malicious killings. I mean, a, f- a few of them did emerge, but, you know, there was there were these many cases in Essex where people were frightened about poisoning and they started putting all these acts in place. But after the Bradford sweets poisoning, thankfully, you have the pharmacy and sales of poisonings act in 1868 now that at least is put in place to stop people just buying poisons right you know so you can't just wander into a pharmacy and go hello i'm uh, i've got i've got rats and i'm i'm a, I'm a madman killer not that everyone from the west country is a madman who's going to poison people but um i mean you know the evidence but no <laughs> <laughs> But we have the, the Poisoning Act in place. Uh, the Poisoning Act is means that only chemists and druggists Excellent. or an experienced assistant of theirs can sell any of the poisons that are on the list. Um, the poisons, when they are sold, they have to be labelled. Uh, they have to be recorded in the book. And they must be sold to a person who is known to the chemist or the druggist. Or that person has to be accompanied by someone that the proprietor knows yep. so that they can vouch for them. 
And there's many poisons on the list. There's arsenic, there's prussic acid, there's chloroform, cyanide, strychnine, aconite, tartar emetic, belladonna, essential almond oil. I suppose that's cyanide of a way. I don't know. Essential oil of almonds just seems a bit mean. But you can buy them as long as you, but you have to sign for it, say you're buying them. And the, the chemist has to know as who you are. So you can still get them, but just not anonymously. So Christiana goes to Garrett's chemist where she's shopped many times before not in person she's shopped either by correspondence or she's been into the shop but they wouldn't have recognized her because she always wore a veil how very mysterious but in march 1871 she goes into the shop to buy a few things you know soap toothbrush some toiletries several grams of strychnine you know just normal newspapers normal everyday things she gives the name of mrs wood and she asks for the poison because her garden is overrun with cats That's I mean, that's mean. a bit harsh. That is quite mean. She she literally says, I want to kill all these stray cats in my garden. The chemist says, no problem with killing the cats. No problem with that. <laughs> well, I've got a better poison for you for killing the cats. <laughs> I've got a better... Use this gun. <laughs> <laughs> the chemist says, you know, I'd love, I'd love to help you kill all the cats in Brighton. But he says he needs a known witness and a customer, you know, to accompany her. And then she says, well, well what about the woman in the hat shop three doors down? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that'll do. All right. So Christiana goes into the shop, buys another veil, and then asks the shopkeeper. And she says, will you witness this strychnine sale? Uh, because my husband wants to stuff birds. Oh, now we're on to birds. Now we're on to birds. What is it with her and animals? So the shopkeeper looks at this woman who's wearing, you know, as I said, several veils, uh, talking about poisoning cats and birds and thinks, ah, sure, fair enough. Why not? Why not? So she walks down the street to the chemist. Christiana purchases 10 grains of strychnine. Nice strychnine we've covered before strychnine possibly the most gruesome of all the poisons but christiana has her strychnine she will continue to shop at garrett's in the same way using the name of mrs woods um making sure that now she's been seen once she can go and buy that buy that poison anytime she wants to now she needs to have access to some of Maynard's stock so she has a boy go and buy bags of sweets this is of the time as well you could you could lean out your window and go boy buy me a goose boy buy me buy me sweets Buy me a pound of chocolates, quickly, post haste. And trust the boy not to have eaten them all by the time he gets back. <laughs> I would have been useless. Um, she sends the boys to get um, bags of loose chocolates from the shop. Now, these sweets will come in a bag that is labelled Maynard. So when she receives these chocolates, she takes them home and she injects them with strychnine. And then she starts leaving them around Brighton. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's harsh. She wants people to find them to eat them, to become ill and blame oh Maynard. So yes, she tries. Her first few attempts don't work out so well because it's mental. Um, <laughs> she goes, well, she just goes into a stationery shop, Halliwell's, um, and she leaves a bag of chocolates there, leaves, and then comes back later on to see if anyone's taken them. And the shopkeeper's like, oh, here's your chocolates that you left. I thought you left them. And she does on that occasion say to the owner and say, oh, no, I don't want them anymore. Um, you have a kid, right? Yeah, your kid can eat them. Oh no, thirteen-year-old son. Oh fuck off! Well, it... evil woman. But why is she? Why was she targeting children? Because they were going to eat them. They're chocolates. So the owner gives them to his thirteen-year-old son. He does become ill, but he doesn't die. He recovers, but he mm. definitely gets sick. Another time, she leaves a bag there, and they're thrown away. Good. Every time she leaves bags of chocolates around, though, quite rightly, people are throwing them away or going, Miss, you forgot your chocolates. So she's becoming desperate. She's just leaving them in places. She leaves them in a grocer's at one point, And the wife of the grocer eats some and her friend who's with them. She becomes ill. She becomes very sick. It's not enough, though, for Christiana. She takes to going into the street, walking around and offering children chocolates 
from the bag labelled Maynards. Oh, no. Encourages them to take them. No, this is not all. The children take the sweets. Several of them go home. They start complaining of stomach pains. They are sick. They take a bite of them. Most of them are smart enough, though, not to eat them because the chocolates taste horrible. They're metallic in taste. They don't taste right. But again, she's not doing a subtle attempt mm. at doing poisoning. She's not doing those tiny little bits as we've seen in other cases of slowly administered poisons over years and then in months and weeks someone will die. She just wants people to get sick and to drop dead or to become so ill that they'll blame Maynards and she wants results fast. So that's why she is wandering the streets doing this. It's a good lesson for kids. You know, if you're approached by a woman handing you sweets and she's wearing nine veils, don't take them no, indeed if she can't kill mrs beard it's like what else could i do kill everyone in the whole world kill everyone else. <laughs> so again she she oh, realizes gosh. the dosage isn't working so either way the dosage doesn't seem to be working or her system is not working christiana goes so far as to purchase more strychnine and test them out at home on a neighbor's dog no i this woman is nuts <laughs> and generally pretty evil she tests it out on the neighbour's dog the poor thing dies in agony moments after he is seen playing or Christina is seen playing with the dog yeah. the, the owner the owner takes it um, again this report not does not come from a vet but from a taxidermist uh, and the taxidermist concluded the dog had been poisoned because it had a bent back uh, a pooling of saliva in the throat and that um, almost rigid grin of the strychnine yeah. victims so now Christiana keeps writing to Garrett's chemist. She's asked for strychnine several times. She's not completely stupid. She knows that there's only amount of time before she will be caught or maybe suspicions will be aroused. But she retires Mrs. Wood. She says that Mrs. Wood is moving to Devon. But now she writes to, to Garrett's chemist claiming to be from another chemist asking for supplies of strychnines. Another chemist in Brighton. She asked for a quarter ounce. That's 120 grains. That's a hell of a lot. And Garrett's goes, wait a minute. I can only supply a drachm. That's about 60 grains. Sorry, can't do any more than that. He sends off the strychnine to this other chemist. She just, all she has to do is pretend she's another chemist and he sends her a slightly smaller supply than she asked for. I mean, Brighton is not a massive place. And especially back back then... You would have thought you would have heard of a you would know. Oh, he does know the other chemist. He has he has had dealings with him before. But again, this is not a time where people are necessarily wandering up and chatting and speaking face to face. There are orders coming back and forth by paper by boys being delivered uh, delivering these orders, um, and all you have to do is sign your signature. And that's it. And you'll just get it sent over. And so he doesn't question it at the time. He doesn't. It he sends off. So yeah, pharmacy act. So good. So. <laughs> What she starts to do, Christina also changes up her game. She starts, she realises that if she's going to place the blame more squarely at Maynard's, she gets her network of messenger boys to buy chocolates, bring them to her. She fills them with poison. Then she gives them to the boys to go and exchange at Maynard's, bringing them back saying, oh, sorry, these are the wrong chocolates. Maynard's takes them back, puts them back into their stock because they haven't been touched purportedly give the boys fresh chocolates, goes, now the poison chocolates are in Maynard's stock. And it is here that she has success in horrible circumstances. Cool. On the 12th of June, a man called Charles Miller buys a bag of the tainted chocolate creams from Maynard's and he brings them home. And the first one he gives out, he gives to his four-year-old nephew, Sidney Barker. Oh, no. And very soon the poor child is crying in agony and he is fitting. The doctor is called for 
the poor boy is showing signs of strychnine poisoning. At the same time, Uncle Charles and his little brother, who took a small bite of the chocolates but spat it out, also start to feel ill and collapse. They ultimately recover, but poor Sydney dies 20 minutes after eating the chocolates. Oh, Christ. Yeah, horrible. But this is the first death and the only death from Christiana's actions. Oh, good. I mean, this is absolutely insane because she's done all of this. I mean, it's not as even that she had killed the the wife. What was her name? Elizabeth? Emily. Emily. It's not as if she, she killed her. So she's trying to foist blame of a murder onto someone else. She was a bit poorly and she got better. It probably would have ended it's at that. Literally all it seems to be in Christiana's head is that she wants to win favour with Dr. Beard. Dr. Beard thinks, has told her that he suspects her of poisoning his wife, and now she has gone on this level of destruction... This level of madness. ...to utterly prove that it was not her, it was Maynard's. And it was her, it was her, but she is now convinced and absolutely set on blaming Maynard's and doesn't care who she affects in her wake. So the death of little Sydney is investigated. An expert is called in to see if uh, poison is, can be detected. Um, through the process of the autopsy, it is revealed that there is poison by strychnine and the chocolates are also tested. But other chocolates that are brought from the shop prove to be fine. Christina, she's still poisoning. She's still leaving chocolates around and offering them to children in the street while this is happening. But when she hears that Sydney's death is being investigated and she knows what's happened, she tells the people who are investigating that she had eaten bad chocolates from Maynard's in the hope she's thinking if she gets involved in the investigation, Dr. Beard will notice. She even gives evidence at the child's inquest. She apparently played up in court and came forward saying, yes, the chocolates tasted frightful. I've never tasted anything like it. It it had a metallic taste. And I became livid and trembled all over and my throat burned frightfully. I just felt so strange. No, she's quite, quite mad. Quite, quite, quite mad. See, see, it doesn't help the the case of... The hysteria thing. That's the thing. On one hand, we can have a lot of sympathy for women with hysteria. But, but... sometimes, no, they're just fucking crazy. Oh, that bitch crazy. <laughs> no, that bitch be crazy. <laughs> Bitches be crazy. No, she is showing all kind of signs of absolute psychopathy. No empathy, no concern, no remorse for Sydney. She's not even sad. She goes to the inquest and then says all these things knowing that she's done it, but trying to place blame on Maynard. Maynard's defence is very strong. He says, I don't keep strychnine in the shop. They can only conclude that it must be for the manufacturer's warehouse. Again, we've got shades of the Bradford Sweets poisoning. You know, the, mm. the warehouse owner says, no, no, we we don't keep this sort of thing here. But yes, obviously we catch rats in the, in the warehouse. So maybe something's been tainted. The inquest finds... No wrongdoing with Maynard. He um, gives his evidence. He says, I will destroy all of the stock that has ever come from that warehouse and let's make sure that other measures are in place. He is completely exonerated. The verdict is of accidental death. But Christiana is not dissuaded. She's been at the inquest. She thinks, now, 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 I can write back to Dr. Beard to renew their friendship. (laughs) Quite certain that she's in the clear and that he would have seen Mm. all the coverage, surely. So she writes to him, calling him Caramillo. Dear boy, darling boy. Caramilla. Very Adams family. And she says she's been miserable, miserable that she's been unable to speak to him. Her letter insists on telling him all about the case. There's transcripts of these letters and they are so deluded in their nature you know she's she's so fervent in talking about the case and insisting on her innocence but but speaking quite confidently 
in them as well going I knew you'd want to know about the case I knew that you would want to know what had happened to me and she talks about she uses language in it where she talks about the gentleman who prosecuted her she's very particular about talking about the gentleman and their physiques and how they mm. looked and her looking so delicate in the stand maybe it's as if she's trying to spark jealousy make him, him jealous yeah and again in the letter she speaks about how she looks on the stand and all the gentlemen looking at her she promises that she never mentioned his name <laughs> she would not have to yes why would would she <laughs> insisting saying you can come and see me now me, me and my mother are so looking forward to seeing you it's all the mother's still up. around this at this point wanted. oh the mother's still around the mother is constantly terrified for christiana's mental uh, health understandably and i believe it is um she knows that her child is unstable there is a history of mental illness in the family and christiana is acting in a certain way but the mother doesn't do much she's she's quite old yeah. now so christiana ends this letter ends it with uh, one long long kiss written out oh right she actually writes one long long kiss yes oh, that's i end strange. this with one long long kiss <laughs> Uh, fair enough. She just really needs a shag. <laughs> really needs a shag. That's what it is. So you're, you're confirming everything that the doctors who treated hysteria were Pretty saying. Like you just need in, a shag. In this case, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just shag her for God's sake. She's poisoning everyone. So she sends this letter. No reply. <laughs> Surprise. You'd think that'd be the end of it. Ugh. Oh, no. Who does she try and kill now? Oh, no. She writes more letters. Uh. She writes three to Sydney's father, the victim's father, she writes to him anonymously, urging him to take action against Maynard's. She writes passionately, emphatically, talking about how it's a miscarriage of justice, he needs to take action against Maynard's. These are provocative, rambling letters in the space of maybe even three days apart to a grieving family. And she's still leaving poison chocolates around. Around this time, Dr Beard comes to see her but he's had enough and he insists stop writing to me he tells her that he's shown the letters to his wife this sends christina over the edge she can't believe that he showed the letters that she'd written him to his wife betrayed her he's saying look i just showed my wife all this craziness that you're sending at her and christina can't take it her mother later reports that christina is pacing the floor up and down in the flat saying i should go mad i should go mad and tearing out her hair and now she really steps things up even more so oh even more yes can you really get that much more whether it's out of anger revenge or just a fixation this final act will make him love her she's just not gonna work it's just not gonna happen set on it garrett's the chemist receives a letter purporting to be from the borough coroner Asking for him to send his poison book in to help with Sydney's investigation. Well, it's not from the coroner. It's from Christiana. The book is received again by the network of boys who deliver things. It's sent back half an hour later with pages missing. But not, not the pages detailing Mrs Wood's entries. She tears the pages around her entries. Okay. Which could be a clever move to sort of say, like, well, if you if you think that the person, the pages of the person you've torn out must be the person yeah, yeah, yeah. involved. True. Throwing suspicion on other people. Garrett, the chemist, also receives another letter from the local chemist, the same ones as before, asking now for two ounces of arsenic. So she's oh, changed, changed her poison. Garrett finally thinks... I should follow this up. (laughs) I should look into this. Maybe I should just wander down the street and visit this chemist who keeps taking my supplies. Mm. He visits the chemist and they reveal, no, we never wrote to you. 
He also contacts the coroner and says, no, we never asked you for your poison book. So no sales from these people who are writing to him mm. ever go through. But it's fine because Christiana just writes to another chemist, pretending to also be another chemist, asking for a supply of arsenic, and the sale goes through. Now she has arsenic, and now she also changes up the method in which she'll poison. She doesn't just stick with chocolates. Oh, no. She gets sweets. She gets cakes. She gets fruit. She packages up all of these new goodies, and she sends them as gifts to prominent people all around Brighton. <laughs> Christ. To several surgeons... She sends some, of course, she sends a package to Emily Beard, sends one to Garrett, the chemist. These are all sorts of different lovely treats, all obviously laced with arsenic. There were a couple of the recipients of the actual prominent people ate them, but mostly they were eaten either by servants or the children of the family. Uh... With the servants, again, the servants are just fucking scoffing anything that comes through. <laughs> oh, quite, yeah. Oh, there's a lovely thing of chocolates over there. Yeah, there's two. I, I don't know what happened to the rest. I don't know. <laughs> and certainly in Emily Beard's case, she gets a plum cake delivered to her and she sets it aside thinking it will be a lovely treat for the children. But the servant eats it. <laughs> Why's the servant eating my cake? <laughs> Beat the servant. <laughs> yeah. She eats the servant, then she gets sick, and then they all die of poisoning. Everyone who eats any of these treats becomes ill with vomiting, with burning in the throat, with pain in the stomach, with explosive diarrhoea. It's pretty grim. Yeah. But again, these treats are not subtly treated. You know, anyone who takes a bite out of them goes, Bleh! because they contain so much poison, <laughs> it's impossible for anyone to, to miss them. One of the examiners later on says that the fruit, some of the fruits that are given out are literally stuffed with oh arsenic. One, pe one treat had enough arsenic to kill two people. Garrett received some peaches that were dusted with strychnine. <laughs> Just a little dusting. There we are. But there's not enough. Christiana herself contacts the police saying that she had received a box of fruit that had been poisoned so the police visit and they find her reclining on her couch weakly going oh i've been poisoned her mother again oblivious to what she's doing confirms the situation saying that they had received a, a treat uh, her mother had gone to eat some of the sweets christiana had tried to eat them and her mother went no they taste awful what are you doing I had actually tried to call dr beard to come and treat christiana mm. and he refused to turn up mm. she asks after oh is um is dr beard's wife all right and a few other people by name weirdly and she says how very strange i feel certain you will never find it out <laughs> don't say that to the police and a big <laughs> wink wink <laughs> at this point the police they have had several complaints and they take possibly an unwise step they put a notice in the local paper offering a 20 pound reward for information about who's sending these poison treats around brighton and people pretty much go into a panic. It's just, what? All food in Brighton is now poison. They think it's the time of the Borgias, it's reported. And they just give, oh God, <laughs> don't eat that. No, nobody eat anything. Everyone sit very still and maybe it'll pass. Good move by the police there. But it doesn't take that long because mm. it does have an effect. Dr. Beard sees the notice and so does Emily Beard as well. And they get in contact with the police. Obviously, he's been too embarrassed to bring up anything that Christiana has done. Whether or not anything ever happened between them he's married and he's a doctor and if she's this fucking crazy then she can twist this into all sorts of things and his practice could be ruined so 
he stayed silent until now now he has no choice he goes in he delivers the letters that christina christiana has written to him the police who have copies of the labels that were on all of the poisons that were sent out to the prominent people compare the handwriting ah clever they bring in a handwriting expert they write to christina as well and ask her for some information just so they can get a sample they match the handwriting up and there they have their evidence she is arrested on the 17th of august the police also track down her network of urchins. <laughs> they find the letters that were sent to Sydney's father as well, recommending action against Maynard, and the handwriting all matches up. This is a huge part of the case. So she is brought to court and she is charged with Sydney's murder Good. in January 1872. There's differing reports. I think that she was also tried for the attempted murder of Emily Beard, Dr. Beard's wife, but certainly for Sydney's murder. Uh, she's tried at the Central Criminal Court in London, thanks to the Palmer's Act. Mm-hmm. Again, another throwback. La, la, la. <laughs> and she is dubbed the Chocolate Cream Killer. Oh, nice. In the press. That's a good one to have. So there we are. Chocolate, chocolate cream killer. Nice. Here we are. She's tried in January 1872. The defence, insanity. Yeah, well, yes, that, that works. She's crazy. Mother steps up to court and reveals more about the family history. Uh, she says Christiana was always prone to mental illness and it ran in the family. Not only with her father, we heard about him at the beginning of the story. Her brother, mm. Arthur, very sadly died also in an asylum. Oh, wow. Uh, Eelsfield Asylum for Idiots. That's his actual name. Oh, no. He was 24. He died in 1866. He suffered from epilepsy, which is quite sad so um sister also died young possibly from complications with again this suspected congenital syphilis from the father there's complications through the family on the mother's side definitely mental illness problems and she's just recounting all of that and christiana yeah clearly has problems it takes about an hour for them to convict and say christiana should be executed and she'd be hanged by the neck until she'd be dead christiana at this point cries out pregnant <laughs> my god she's got a lot of things up her sleeve hasn't she she's oh, yeah. got, a, got a plan for everything well that one doesn't work out so well because well, no. everyone goes no you're not. you're not you're not i mean we'll find out if you are because at the time though you could have a stay of execution yeah. if you're pregnant between 10 and 20 women came in to poke her in the stomach and went, she's definitely, not, definitely pregnant. not pregnant she's sent to lewis prison at this time actually to await execution when she gets on the train she is convinced that she's going back to brighton that it's not happening And it's only when the train departs and goes towards Lewis that she starts to run and she's saying, Dr. Beard, Dr. Beard, he is the cause of all of this. Tries to throw herself out of the window of the train. She's ranting and ranting about Dr. Beard the whole way. There is a call, though, for her sentence to be commuted. Some people have sympathy with her. No, not the death penalty. Brighton, most people are Brighton going, yes, please. That's not surprising, yeah. (laughs) She ain't coming back here. I think also, though, if she doesn't get um, killed, if she is committed to a mental institution, I think the the onus is on um, the local authority, which is from to pay for it. So they're all just like, kill her, kill her, it's fine, it's fine. We are fine with capital punishment. No problem whatsoever. She does get reprieved though, and she is instead sentenced to life imprisonment in Broadmoor Asylum. Oh, there we go. On the grounds that she is morally defective, which is an early term for a psychopath. Psychopath, yes. And she goes to Broadmoor aged 43. She enters wearing rouge, a large amount of false hair, and false teeth. Nice. 
It's like you on a night out, Nick. Oh, shush yourself. <laughs> okay, maybe not the false teeth, but the hair of the rouge. The hair of the rouge, absolutely. <laughs> the hair of the rouge, there it is. So yeah, she's admitted to Broadmoor Hospital. She's a very curious patient there. She never denies her actions, but she never explains them or shows any remorse. She gets on quite well, but she does like to provoke people in there. She's, mm. she's trusted things like um, being able to work in the laundry. She's allowed to sew, which is quite a privilege in an asylum because you're given a needle and thread. Yes, those are the, all the spiky things. Not all the spiky things, just a needle. She's not given a mace. <laughs> Do you not say with a mace? I died. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's given a mace. But she would she would provoke people. She'd hide contraband purely for the love of deception. A year before her death, where an, a Christmas party is to be held at Broadmoor for the patients, that in her 70s, barely able to see or walk, she's lying in the infirmary and she turns to a fellow inmate and asks, How are my eyebrows? <laughs> You've got you've got bigger problems, love. <laughs> the eyebrows are fine. The fact that you're eating strychnine is a problem. It's the eyebrows, all along. They told me to do it. <laughs> Suspicious eyebrows the whole Suspicious time. Suspicious eyebrows. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but yes, she breathes. I was a Venus before, and I shall be a Venus again. She dies a few months later of senile decay. And there we have the story of Christiana Edmonds. See, that was a good story. I've not heard any there of that before. There you go. And especially such a local story Chocolate as well. Chocolate cream killer. Chocolate cream killer. Yeah, she's just mad. <laughs> just, just obviously so desperately in love with one person to send you into that spiral of trying to kill a city worth of people. Some of the reports write about her and they just set out the path of poisons and what happened in Brighton. And it could lead some people to conclude that that she was just a plain psychopath, that she was doing this out of boredom, out of the thrill of doing things like um, mm. we talked about Graham Young, you know, last week, you know, yeah, yeah, just yeah, for yeah. the experimentation of it. No, I don't think so. It does seem like she has become completely fixated on Dr. Beard. Yes, and, absolutely. You know, where people become stalkers. Mm. where you've got cases of stalkers and historically and in, in modern times where people genuinely believe the person that they're stalking is in love with them. Oh, so they're just so completely obsessed with just one person. Yeah, that they're sending them messages and that they genuinely think this and that if they just do this, that person will fall in yeah. love with them. And it does seem like that with Christiana. Oh, that maybe she is just... But then again, you've got the evidence of her in Broadmoor as well. She just, again, by all accounts, she messes up with patients. She 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 does stuff just for, to see what will happen. But a later theory is that she just uh, suffered from a narcissistic personality disorder. Well, that seems quite likely. Overwhelming need for attention, for admiration, and the need for superiority. Yeah. So it kind of fits. But it seems to be the need for superior or need for attention from one person. Mm. To anything to get his his attention and win his affections and approval. So um. His busy, busy hands. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not subtle about it either, though. I mean, the chocolates are no. loaded with poison. She's, she's just trying to get a reaction quickly. She wants it results now. Do you reckon anything happened between her and Dr. Beard? I doubt it. I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I don't I don't think anything did happen between them because I think if she was that crazy then she probably would have she would have threatened to tell. Yeah, she very true. And said that you've had sex with Yeah, me. I'm going to tell your wife and do that if um yeah, so you're probably mm. right actually. It is just a weird fixation. But also we have how the hell did she buy all that poison? 
did the poisoning act or nothing? Well, no, he didn't. I mean, it tells you that... So if they, if they were so inclined to investigate that, they could say, OK, like, Mrs. Wood has bought an awful lot of poison. And then we go, well, who the fuck's Mrs. Wood? Oh, we do. No. Um, <laughs> um, so in Mrs. Some... Wood. And later Mrs. Trees. <laughs> exactly. So in some respects, it has done something, because we know Mrs. Wood bought the poison. <laughs> It's okay. We know Mrs. Wood bought the poison. Right. Who is she and where does she live? She lives at 123 Fake Street. <laughs> Shit. All the police going, hmm, okay. We need to find a place with lots of cats. That's it. <laughs> or no the cats. cats will lead us to the killer. Oh, shit, no, no cats. cats. Oh, God. <laughs> You're a place with no cats. That's where the, that's where the crazy Look, lady lives. Just a lot of dead a cats. A lot of dead cats are hanging in trees or something. I don't know. Well, she hanged them. Oh, I don't know. What do you do with dead cats? Put them in trees. I don't know. <laughs> they were happy there once. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she is mental, so yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I'm not surprised they didn't catch her sooner. <laughs> the police are just going around like, looking for cats in trees. And Mrs. Wood, <laughs> who doesn't exist. <laughs> Mrs. Wood sounds like trees. Okay, right, good. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's where cats live. Aha, it's all links. <laughs> <laughs> all the kids pulling at their trousers going, this woman with nine veils on tried to give me chocolate in the street. Shut up, you! <laughs> We're onto the cat thing. <laughs> Policing at its best. There we are. We have possibly the greatest poison of them all. <laughs> cats. Matters of the cats. <laughs> or matters of the heart, but cats. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good lesson. Don't just freaking eat something that's been left in a shop in a bag. And if it goes, oh, it tastes weird. Yes, because it's probably poisoned. Or off. Shouldn't have been eating random chocolates on the floor. Uh, you're such a sympathetic person. <laughs> I'm a sympathetic kind soul. <laughs> there we are. The tale of Christiana That Evans. was a good tale. I liked that tale. And if you're ever in Kent, you can see some of the buildings that her father helped to create. They're still there. Next time I go to market, I should go, ooh. If you liked what you heard, then please uh, follow us, obviously, on all of our social media channels. Follow us on Instagram, at The Poisoners Cabinet, and also on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at The Poisoners Cab. As ever, please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts predominantly, on Facebook, on our Instagram messages. Just share the love if you can. Come and say hello. Do come and say hello. Um, are there any poisoners or poisoning cases that you think we should cover from across yes, the centuries? We do not mind when they are from or where they came from or what they did. I'm looking forward to doing it for next week's one now. That's because it's yours. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what I'm doing. It'll be another episode of you talking and me yelling at you and drinking. Well, pretty much. Well, that's Yay! all episodes really that I'm doing. So it's like <laughs> much like our lives. <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah. Wherever you are in the world, if you're listening to this and you are in isolation, you are in lockdown. Don't be scared. Be brave. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Stay home. Follow more podcasts. Go listen to more shows. Subscribe. Download them. Give people a hand. Share your ideas. Be creative and and come and talk to us. We've got nothing else to do, literally. If you do come up with your own cocktails or you have cocktails that you like do let let us know put them on facebook stick them on instagram uh i'm always happy if i've got the ingredients i will give them a go we have been the people inside the poisoner's cabinet we will see you next week and remember your loved ones are trying to kill you bye